Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Carly Hunter, a passionate yoga practitioner, specifically in Ashtanga yoga and a private yoga instructor in New York City. Hear her recount how her deep dive professionally into the yoga community becomes the source of disillusionment and heartbreak. Please welcome Carly Hunter. Welcome, Carly. I ask one big question to kind of start the conversation off and we'll sort of see where it goes. The question is, was there an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have reshaped the direction of your life? Yes, this is a big question, but one for me that does not require a lot of searching, either personally or professionally, was my relationship to yoga and how that came into my life and the series of events that happened from there. I started practicing at yoga when I was still working in a corporate job for CBS And I got into the yoga practice that way. I started a teacher training and started teaching when I met my ex, who is a yoga teacher. (laughs) When I was at and I was a student there, I really dove into my yoga practice and really found yoga to be super healing and super important in my life, especially at a time. Sorry. Can I I just ask, had you been practicing before or this was something new? So I had been practicing before. I went to college to dance. So I earned my BFA in dance performance from Ohio State. And while I was there, I took yoga as sort of like an alternative body awareness technique, if you will, to support my dance training. So I've been practicing for about I would say consistently for 20 years. But when I found yoga, I sort of began a daily practice and really started to dive into more than just the physical practice by being introduced to a more authentic level of teaching that I found there. And that sort of got me searching and got me looking for a more true path not just in the yoga, but in my life. And things started to kind of unfold. I I was working in advertising as a way to make a living. And I was miserable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I found myself moving from position to position with different companies, not only in an effort to earn more money, but also just to sort of search for a level of happiness and satisfaction that just never came to me in that field. I was working the last position that I had in advertising. It was a work from home position. And I had already done my teacher training and I started to practice in a Mysore room uh, and practicing Ashtanga yoga and got into that practice. 
which has totally changed my life. But um, once I started doing the Ashanga practice and practicing in my sort room, I started being asked to assist and teach. And I saw another avenue for my dance training and talents as a dancer to kind of apply it towards teaching yoga. And then I, being a part of the community at Pure and knowing some people, I was offered a position to manage the private yoga program at I decided to take a step out of my career in advertising and dive full force into teaching yoga. Very scary move for me. It has not been an easy path. It has not been one without resistance. And so here I am today still teaching, teaching privately. That's pretty much all I do is teach one-on-one. And yeah, so my life sort of changed and I, I point back to my time from the time that I was at CBS, just going to take classes. And all I wanted to do was just take yoga before work and after work and take two, three classes a day. I mean, I was like addicted. <laughs> <laughs> so there was another inflection point that I know you are making reference to. Yes. So for people who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about yoga? I mean, especially people who are not in New York City specifically. Sure. So yoga is still in existence in New York City and is a huge mecca for yoga, just like this unbelievable yoga space that housed seven huge studios and really brought together people in the community who were like-minded to share in the practice of yoga. The best teachers teach there. I really found a home outside of my home in that community. It became the center point of my life and it made me feel like I belong somewhere. So, but people should understand that yoga in its original iteration was a high-end yoga studio. Yes. It was- That was also a draw. (laughs) Right. And it was a place where if you were not able to afford the membership you were sort of out of luck. It did do a job of separating or creating a sort of a hierarchy of those who could go there and those who could not. So being a part of that community and especially as a teacher, did you ever find yourself wondering if this was the right place for you? Well, at first when I went there to take class, I did see this was like catering to the 1% in a way. (laughs) And I I did understand, I did see it. And at first it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. So I did recognize that. However, I didn't feel as though the teaching was speaking to that. And so to me, it still felt very true and authentic for what I understood it to be at that time. So you got this job in management at which mm-hmm. is actually a big coup, I'm sure. And then you left your professional career in sort mm-hmm. of the world of business and yeah. you, you embarked on this journey. So what was the next big event that kind of reshaped your experiences there, but more importantly, your life? I was managing the private yoga program there. It was interesting that the position was offered to me because even though I was teaching, I didn't have a ton of experience teaching. I had never in my life 
actually had a private lesson. (laughs) And yet all I was doing was teaching them. So I hate to say this, but it was like sort of fake it till you make it. I figured out a formula for my teaching that worked and started to gain a student base in a private setting. And then also simultaneously, I was in a relationship with another yoga teacher who worked there, who introduced me to the Ashtanga practice and the Mysore setting. And that also shaped my teaching tremendously because I was teaching Mysore Ashtanga yoga alongside him. I guess to answer your question, that relationship and being in that setting all at once was incredibly challenging for me. And it also changed the direction of my life in the sense that like this was going to be my new path and my new career and a lifestyle. And it not only was professional, but it permeated into my personal life as well. I'm really, truly, there was like no separation between personal and professional. (laughs) Um, How How long did the relationship last? Six and a half years. And you were quite young when you met him. 29. So he's significantly older, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. And so did you at any point, because I know there's a lot of questions the yoga communities had to grapple with, where teachers who have a certain amount of influence having appropriate or inappropriate relationships with their Mm. students. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know this has been a big controversy in our world, um, especially among some of our very well-known teachers in the city. So when you started this relationship and as a student of his, did you ever have a moment of like, ooh, maybe this is uh, overstepping a boundary that he should um, honor? That's a great question. And I can see the obvious in wanting to ask that question, but the answer to that is no. He was very respectful of his position, actually, in the way that he approached me. At the time that we met, I just knew him from going to his class, like, casually on Friday evenings, and I, and I would just see him and say hello one day, and wanted to have a coffee, and I think we went to the park and had a coffee and really we kept our relationship and then grew from there. We kept our relationship a secret from everybody for a year before we told anyone that we were seeing each other. Um, one of the things that he said to me right at the beginning of our relationship was, I don't date any of my students that I teach in the Mysore room. And then he, I think he said that maybe like on a Sunday to me and that Monday I showed up for my sword class and that was the, the end. I just continued to, to practice in the Mysore room despite him saying that because I want, really did want to learn the Ashtanga practice. I guess I crossed that boundary for him versus the other way around. It wasn't like I wasn't in consent of this or I felt like he was doing uh, seeking me out in in um, a way in which I wasn't approving, if that makes sense. Right. In a way that you were being exploited, right? Yeah. No, it was was very respectful. Um, Yeah. Because usually in that situation, the power dynamic is so uh, weighted to one side that you could see how a student might feel perhaps pressured, perhaps not, not, but the power dynamic is just not equal when it is your teacher. Right. 
honestly, it really was not that at all. I, I mean, I think that power dynamic played out in different ways in our relationship over the years, but certainly um, not at the beginning. And his pursuit of me was never done in a way in which I felt was disrespectful. So I'll, so, I'll give him credit for that. <laughs> so going back to being a part of the pure community, did you feel as though the community was as open and inclusive as the yoga community likes to espouse? I just naturally started to talk to people and make, you know, casual friendships and, you know, very surface friendships for the most part. And so I felt like for me, I kind of kept everybody like in a way at an arm's length because I was really truly interested in learning the yoga. And that's what I was there for. Even though I said that it, I, I really did elaborate on how much of a huge part of my life it was, that happened over time. So I don't know. I mean, to me, it was fine. But I think in general, the pure yoga community was not like very diverse and all inclusive. And it wasn't like a kumbaya sort of like everyone belongs sort of feeling there. I, mm -hmm. I didn't get that sense. There were a lot of politics. There were all of those dynamics played out in that, that uh, micro setting. So was that yeah. disappointing to see some of the same petty jealousies and political shenanigans in a workplace that you loved in a world that you kind of idolized. And then you find out that these people who have positions of power in this world are no different than the people you might have worked with at CBS, right? Right. Well, that's so interesting you say that because it is exactly that way. Um, you know, what I experienced as a student at versus what I experienced in management at totally different. It was like once I got behind the curtain and saw the inner workings, oh my goodness. I mean, to be honest with you, <laughs> and I don't know if this is appropriate to even say, but I felt like of all the corporate settings I had ever worked in, it was the most dysfunctional <laughs> there <laughs> than it was anywhere that I had ever, ever worked. And, and the most politics, the most drama, the most um, hand-holding of from a managerial position that I had ever seen. That was really disappointing. And then for me, you know, as a teacher, being a new teacher, but also in this managerial position, I feel like from the other teachers, there was a lack of respect towards my position or my teaching, my validity as a teacher. That was a big challenge for me because I felt like there was this sense that like I didn't belong in this position. And yet I had to assert a level of authority over other people who had a lot more experience than I did as teachers. But maybe not as humans. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. So that was a struggle for me for sure. And to, you know, keep my head up and and try to earn the respect as a teacher. And yet, like I had way more business background, understanding, knowledge, experience than what my pay level was. So from a business perspective, the position itself was difficult for me to manage as some, you know, my jobs in advertising, but on a political level and having to navigate through the managerial aspect of things, it, it was hard. And in time, over the years, it got a little bit better. I think I was in the position for three and a half years. It did get better, but yeah, 
when I did leave the post, I was happy to. (laughs) So have you, since you've, you know, been away from that environment for a while and you probably Mm -hmm. had some time to reflect, have you tried to figure out why or how the people that you worked with, as you described, and which I also have witnessed as being incredibly dysfunctional? I mean, have you tried to figure out why that is or why that business attracted these people, right? Like chicken or the egg. We don't know if these people were were attracted to it because of the institution or the institution made them dysfunctional. So it's a chicken and egg situation uh, for sure. I think yoga teachers inherently, ironically, have a lot of narcissistic tendencies, (laughs) big (laughs) egos. And I think that big personalities And there was like the sense of entitlement, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that dynamic, when you multiply it by however many teachers that are there all vying for like these top prestigious spots to have a class on the schedule or to have this or to have that, it was like a hunger game in a way. So I think that the institution kind of created that and the prestige sort of created that competition amongst teachers and then this like level of cattiness and vying for opportunity and sort of the ones that were spotlighted and featured were hated on by the others just created this dynamic. And then I think that the institution itself like sort of created this sense of like everybody wanting a piece of it and wanting to rise to the top and be the most popular, the most seen of all the teachers. It was like a big ego game in a way. That's why I sort of like to stay teaching (laughs) one-on-one. And that's why I sort of like retreated into this private setting is because I felt comfortable and I felt like it was a way for me to escape having to play into that um, dynamic. I could just really focus on my teaching and the work at hand rather than all of this political stuff. So, yeah, um, which is so anathema to what yoga is about, right? That absolutely, right? Yeah. Philosophically, yes. that's uh, what yoga is certainly not about. So, I'm sure the disconnect was probably jarring for you as you try to navigate that. And then, more importantly, as you tried to manage basically what sounds like a bunch of middle schoolers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there were a bunch of middle schoolers and it was just the unprofessional things that I would hear and the disturbing things that I would hear come out of people's mouths that I had once taken class from and respected tremendously as yoga teachers and then saw like pulled back the curtain and saw what was behind. It was very disappointing because I think as a student there, I like put these teachers up on a pedestal and then I realized, oh my gosh, well, they're just human. They're just hu- very flawed humans. And that came out once I got into the, the managerial side of things. I could see everybody and everything for what it was. It, there was no like that shiny object syndrome kind of went away. <laughs> yeah, the tarnish was available, uh, was visible. Very. Um, <laughs> so you, you kind of mentioned your departure from Could you talk about the reasons why or perhaps what uh, instigated your departure? I left on my own free will. However, I felt forced out. 
my ex at the time and I, we were running a MISER program there, or he, it was really his program, but I also had um, classes that I taught, taught MISER classes that I taught in conjunction with it. And I felt, well, I didn't feel, but what really actually happened was that he was forced out of his job and essentially in the end fired. I feel very unfairly and unjustly. I feel like he was framed in, in a way in which caused him to be fired. At first, they were going to let him go. And they said it was for business reasons. His last month of teaching there, he was trying to kind of pull students out. And that caused him to get fired. Pull students out so that he could then continue on a Mysore program outside of the walls of I was just so disgusted and disappointed. I was also losing my classes as well, which were the only group classes that I was teaching there. Still managing the private yoga program. I had just had, at that point, had enough from my post in management, as well as just seeing how he was being treated, how I was being treated. I decided that I was going to leave with him. And so shortly after he was fired, I gave my notice and, and decided to leave. I made that decision and it was taking a big, big leap to do that. And I'm glad I did. I'm very, very glad I did because otherwise I don't think I would have ever left. <laughs> right. So can you describe, I'm sure that was very scary to leave this place that in a way, despite its dysfunction, did kind of cocoon you, Right. Exactly. Uh, you had a steady income. You knew the ins and outs. Your mm -hmm. uh, then partner also had a steady income. So what was that like when you had to sort of forge an entirely different path on your own without that cocoon? It was challenging and it was scary because we were like essentially both unemployed. It was scary. The students that I had been working with, I'd been working with for years and were just very loyal to me as students. So I continued working with a majority of them and sort of built a practice outside of there. And then one person made a referral and then I got another student and another student and it sort of grew from there. But it was nerve wracking. And, and then at the same time, I'm trying to support my partner through his transition into being essentially unemployed and then trying to launch another MISORE program and help preserve what was once very vibrant and and big at Pure and try to carry it forward into another setting. And that was actually a huge, huge challenge for our relationship. I think that was the beginning of the end of our romantic relationship when all of that sort of happened. It's hard. Your story's so complicated because you were working together and living together and sharing also this passion for this practice. So when mm -hmm. things started to kind of unravel, the problems of that start to encroach upon your love, your foundation for your practice and for your teaching? No, that always remained strong for me. That always remained strong for me. But at the same time, I did question if this relationship falls apart and we don't have each other to lean on, am I going to be able to continue teaching? am I going to be able to support myself financially on my own? And that was a big concern for me in stepping out of the relationship. Am I going to be able to continue teaching? And luckily I have been able to do it. And I knock on wood that I will continue to be able to do it. I've survived without the relationship and, 
And I think it's because of my love for the practice and my dedication to the practice and my teaching that I've been able to be successful. So how, how did the end of the relationship kind of shift your perspective about your future? As a teacher or just in general? Just in um, general as a human being. It was a very challenging transition, but it gave me the most amount of strength that I've ever had. I didn't really come into that strength until about a year after the relationship ended. And then I realized, wow, if I could get through this, I can really get through anything. It's given me a level of confidence in my teaching and in myself as a person to make something happen for myself that I didn't have when I was in the relationship. So I sort of see my future as being bright and being positive and happy. And I think that it's given me a lot of faith that even when things are at their worst, there's always brighter days ahead. I don't think that I had that before that breakup. Once I've been through it and come out on the other side, I know that the next time, and there will certainly be a next time in which I deal with heartbreak, maybe it's not like romantic heartbreak, but it's some sort of life heartbreak that the suffering is only temporary and that there will be brighter days and better days ahead. Did the suffering during that period also deepen your practice? Because, you know, in yoga, we do talk about how we sort of come through suffering, right? Oh, yeah. I I mean, my practice was so deep and so important to me during that time. The only time that I felt okay in my day was when I got on my back to practice. That was the only time where I just felt like a level of peace and a level of like assurance. It was like my lifeline during that time. Now, these days when I'm feeling good, it's like really hard to get on my mat to practice because <laughs> I'm not suffering as much. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll wait another 30 minutes and drink another cup of coffee before <laughs> I get on my mat. But like well, when I, I was going through that really dark time, I mean, I, I craved getting on my mat to practice because it really was... It, doing the practice and then and finishing. And after Shavasana, I would just get up and it would sort of clear all of the gunk out of my head and my mind. And I was able to get on with things and be able to serve other people. And the other thing that really became super important to me during that time was my teaching because it forced me to get myself out of my head and my problems and my issues and my day-to-day and focus my energy on giving and serving to someone else. And so I was just so thankful to have the practice, not only for myself, but to offer to other people. So you can't see me, but as you were talking in the last few minutes, I just have had a smile on my face. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, Just so proud of you. I don't know. I I uh, was really uh, reassured by the way you sort of found yourself through an incredibly challenging period. So if you could picture yourself in five years time, what do you see? Only five? <laughs> I know, I forgot. You're a pitta, you're a pitta. So I know 10 years, 20 years, but you know me, I can only think in like day to day. But so five for me is a lot. <laughs> I mean, okay, so five years, wow. I don't know, Juliana. That's such a, to be honest with you, I don't really know. I, I would I would love 
perhaps run a Mysore room of my own in five years time and to have an even more robust private practice, even though I'm sort of almost maxed out with my private clientele. I was at pre-pandemic, I was like maxed out. I couldn't take on any more students. And, and since, you know, things have slowed down a little bit, but I'm, I am pretty full in my teaching schedule. And I would love to run a Mysore room. I, for the, that's from a professional standpoint. On a personal standpoint, I would like to meet someone romantically and get married. And I sort of would like life to feel as good as it does now, but in, in partnership and just be doing bigger things, both professionally and personally, be as happy as I am. Two and a half years ago when that relationship sort of ended, I, I never could picture this. So that's very vague, but I, I need to give more thought to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, it's almost apropos that you don't, right? Because okay, what you're right. saying is that you're also availing yourself to the possibilities of things that you can't foresee or plan for, right? And since exactly. I, I, I'm a person that lives that way all the time, <laughs> I think that that's a beautiful thing, right? That you... Yes that you're relinquishing a certain amount of control and saying to the world and to yourself, what will come will come. Right. Exactly. And, and just and yeah. being okay with it. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, the famous quote by Patabi Joyce, keep uh, practice and all is coming. Right. And it's not just be practice and all is coming. Good. It's like practice so that you are prepared for all that is coming good, bad, whatever. And so that's kind of how I think I'm going to live my life rather than trying to control everything. Yes, I am pit. I'm very type A, but there's this balance between effort and ease in, in life. Yes, and so, yeah, exactly. So I just sort of live my life that way, you know, push when it's important and step back when it's not. And so that's a great place to end. I love that. And I love the image of that. But I'm going to ask this last question, which is just a random question. And I ask mm -hmm. it because it's a way to provide a different context for you, for the listeners. So if you could find one song that either resonates with you or maybe feels attuned to your life, what would that song be? Oh, my gosh. This was one of those questions that you should have given me before. <laughs> no, and that's exactly why I don't. <laughs> oh, goodness. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I love the song Let It Be by the Beatles. Oh. I think that it, it sort of is the soundtrack for these last years in my life. So when your times are in trouble, and he's talking about his mom came to him in, his, in a dream in that song and right. said, let it be. And I found that it is best when things are, are challenging to sort of let it be and know, like I've been saying this whole time, that better days are ahead. And so, yeah, I guess that would be, that would be the song. That's beautiful. And just FYI, ironically, that's the song I want played when I die. <laughs> 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 and only 
only because because of the line mother mary comes to me because i'm still the good catholic girl and for me that's the virgin mary right <laughs> yes yeah okay. so. <laughs> well we'll see to it juliana okay <laughs> that these um, wishes are carried out <laughs> so thank you so much carly for doing this what you've gone through in the last i think three four years and yeah. it's been a remarkable journey to observe and that's why i asked you to talk to me today thank you for listening to today's episode of phoenix tales a show about women overcoming challenges and like the phoenix to be reborn their lives reimagined make sure to tune into our next episode to hear another inspired story i am yuliana kim grant the show is edited by podigy music is by ryan pruitt it's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.